my word uh, today from the youth group that I have to work into my sermon, or else I owe them donuts next week, is flummox. But I'm going to use flummoxed. I'm going to use kind of a past tense word. If you don't know what that means, it's puzzled or bewildered. Like I often am flummoxed when they give me that word and I'm trying to figure out what it means. I know that doesn't count because I'm going to throw that word into this sermon at some point. This story is long, but it's incredibly important, not just for us today, but it's incredibly important to church history. Because there was an argument going on between Peter and Paul while in the midst of the book of Acts. So Paul, you may remember, um, was a Jewish leader. He was a teacher. He was a Pharisee. He, in fact, says he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the chief among all sinners. Not that Pharisees were always, like, horrible sinners, but you know what I'm saying, what he was saying anyway. And Peter, I mean, Paul understood that the gospel was for Jew and for Gentile. Paul wrote that in in the kingdom of God, there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor male nor female. And he kind of goes on this whole list of like opposites that there is none of that. Like everybody is accepted in. Peter, on the other hand, thought that the gospel of Jesus Christ was for the Jews. And that it wasn't for us. I'm assuming we're all Gentiles in here. There may be a Jewish person or two. I I don't know, but... uh, I'm guessing the large, large majority majority of us are Gentiles. We are non-Jewish people. And Peter felt like the gospel was for Jews and Jews alone. Paul thought the gospel was for everybody, Gentiles and Jews. And they were having a discussion and an argument about it, about how the church would move forward, how this movement of Jesus would move forward. That's what was going on amongst those two. And so there's this guy named Cornelius. He's a soldier, and he's a God-fearer. In the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, you'll read about people called God-fearers. And a God-fearer was a Gentile who worshipped Hashem, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that we worship, but also the God that the Jews worship, and even the the God that the Muslims worship. Like That is the God that um, God-fearers would worship. And they would practice the acts that Jewish people would practice. So they would give alms to the poor. They would give money to the temple. They would do acts of justice and acts of peace for other folks. They did good things, and they did it in the name of God. So this guy, Cornelius, was a God-fearer. He was respected amongst the Jews. He was respected around town from all the different synagogues. And if he went to Jerusalem, people there might even know who he was at the temple. So Cornelius, as we read, has a vision one day. An angel of God comes to him. And so when you hear the word angel of God, you know that the voice of God is speaking through this angel. Angels are people who are are creatures who deliver God's message in some form of spiritual way. Put a pin in that. I'm going to teach you something in just a second, a piece of theology. When you die, you will not become an angel. Angels are created beings. They already exist. They're in the throne room of God. They're in heaven right now. You will be a human soul. You will not become an angel. On the same token, I need to teach you this, if I'm going to say that, to help you understand. So demons, as we understand them, are fallen angels. So the opposite of Satan is not God. 
The opposite of Satan is the archangel Michael, the head angel. So God has power over all of that stuff. And when we die, we don't grow wings and become angels. We become human souls in the presence of God forever, which is amazing and good. Back to the sermon. That's the footnote that would be down in your Bible, by the way, if you have that Bible I just gave away. So, um, where was I? This angel comes to Cornelius and says, all the things you've done, God has received as a memorial, as this thing that is good of your remembrance of God. Now what you need to do is send for this guy named Simon. He's also known as Peter, who's in a town called Joppa. And he's staying in a house by the sea that is owned by another guy named Simon, who is a tanner. That was his job. So Cornelius says yes to the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked a lot about how we should be saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Whenever we get the chance, we should say yes to the Holy Spirit. So Cornelius says yes to the Holy Spirit. And he sends some men down to Joppa, or over to Joppa, to find this Simon Peter who's staying at the Tanner's house. And so they go. They're on their way. While they're trekking and they're on their way, it's about a day's journey Peter, in the meantime, goes up on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house to pray. He needs some space. He needs some time away from the crowd. So he goes up on the roof to pray. And while he's up there, he gets hungry. And he falls into a trance. I don't know why he didn't go downstairs and help them prepare lunch, because that was happening also. But he doesn't. He's up on the roof praying. And he falls into a trance. And while he's in a trance... God gives him a vision. The Holy Spirit, again, is in action and gives him a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with the corners of it lifted up because it's so weighted down with animals. It's got pigs. It's got snakes. It's got shellfish. It's got all the things that Peter has been taught from the book of Leviticus that he should not eat. And he hears a voice come to him, the voice of God, and says, Peter, get up and kill and eat. And Peter knows better than God, right? Like, sometimes we think we know better than God. And Peter says, not a chance. Never in my life have I broken that law. Never, I've done all kinds of things, but I've never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. I've never done it, and I'm not going to start today. He'd been taught his whole life that that was how he ought to function, that is how he ought to believe. And he's doing the right thing he thinks. The voice of God says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. We're told this happens three times. Then the voice says to him, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. He comes out of the trance. The visitors from Cornelius' house are there. And he goes down to greet them. They have this conversation in which they tell him, Cornelius had this vision from God. The Holy Spirit's working. And he goes, okay, I'll go with you. So he and some of his friends go back to Cornelius' house. And when they get there, there's a party prepared. And Peter walks in. And Peter says, I know that you know 
that I am not supposed to be here. And he's eating shrimp, I think. They're bacon wrapped. (laughs) With a jalapeno stuffed inside of them. Maybe some lemon juice on top. Unclean, delicious food. He's dipping it into some, some sort of sauce that's got pig fat in it, I'm sure. He takes a bite and he goes, And you know I'm not supposed to be eating this either. It's not just I'm not supposed to be here with you all. I'm not supposed to be eating this. But listen to what he says. God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. It starts off about food. And it ends up being about people. In our lives... Sometimes it starts off as one thing and it ends up being a whole lot worse as we make it about people. We're Methodists. We kind of stand right in the middle and we take flaming arrows from both sides. And we pride ourselves on the fact that we uh, are intelligent We think deeply about Scripture. We're open to a little bit of movement this way and a little bit of movement that way. We feel like God speaks to us in what we call the Holy Center. And those people that are way over there on the left, give me a break. They voted for Obama. They are definitely unclean. And we stand here in the middle and we go, those people over there on the right, they voted for Donald Trump. How in the world could they even be Christians? We stand here in the middle knowing that we are right. We are correct. Or we stand over here on your left, my right, knowing we are correct, knowing that we have theology that matches up with Scripture, or we stand way over here on this side, and we know, we we are confident that we are correct, and everybody else is wrong. We're sure of it. Has that ever happened to you? Where, where you find out that you're wrong? What? Happens to Stuart all the time. <laughs> He's flummoxed by it. He can't figure it out. It's confusing, right? Peter thinks he's got it right. He thinks he's right. But you know what happened? Peter said no to the Holy Spirit. At least three times. In this one particular story, three times he said, No, God, you are wrong. 
The Bible says, I believe it. That settles it. Anybody ever said that? And he's right. The Bible says it. How many of you like to eat shrimp? How many of you like bacon? How many of you shave your beards? How many of you have long sideburns? How many women keep their heads uncovered? Right? Like, the Bible says, do those things. The Bible says, don't eat those things. And Peter is correct. But he's wrong. Because in his desire to be correct in his actions, he forgets that it's always about people. It's always about people and how we treat them and how we respect them and how we honor them. He thought that the gospel of Jesus Christ was for a small select group of people, but we know that he was wrong because the Holy Spirit worked through him and the Holy Spirit worked through Cornelius and the Holy Spirit worked through Paul and they're arguing that he didn't even know about. And guess what? Sometimes God changes us. Hallelujah. Thank you, because we most of the time miss the point. When I lived in Texas, I would go to Lowe's or Home Depot or someplace like that, and they were like way friendlier than the people who work at these Lowe's and Home Depots here. I mean, incredibly friendly. They were so happy to not help you. <laughs> Man, you're in the store. We're glad you're here. They? But no help. No help at all. It's a great adventure in missing the point. I used to say, I'd rather you be grumpy and help me. I'm here because I need something. I don't know what aisle it's on. There are a thousand of them. But we as Christians live this great adventure in missing the point sometimes. We think it's about being correct. And guess what? We let the news media, and we let all these other things make us forget that we are centered in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for our sins and was raised from the dead to never be killed again. That's the center of what we're about. It's not about our politics, and it's not about our theology. My favorite theologian, Paul Tillich, says the definition of someone who uh, essentially is a heretic is someone who thinks that their, that their theology is the truth of God. When Scripture is true, but Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Amen. Amen. We live in times... When people want to separate us. They want us to think that it's about that thing or this thing or that thing over there. That it's about the fact that you shouldn't eat this and you shouldn't do that. Like the Levitical laws, Peter was missing the point. Let's not do that. Because here's the beautiful thing. In saying yes Truly saying yes to the Holy Spirit. We have to be open to the fact 
that we can be wrong and that God is right and we can be changed. Somebody came up to me after the last service and said that Rotary Magazine from this month, anybody get Rotary Magazine? The Rotary Magazine from this month has an article about how we can't change our minds. And I said, that may be true, but God can. God can change our minds. But we have to be open to that. The beauty of our faith is that it's alive and that God moves amongst us and through us and the Holy Spirit does things that we don't even know is happening. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's be open.